In this episode, we'll be checking out RabbitMQ, which is a very popular open source messaging broker. You can think of this episode sort of as a crash course on the topic. By the way, RabbitMQ or Rabbit Messaging Queue is also referred to as just Rabbit, so I'll be using these terms interchangeably throughout this episode. I thought it might be cool to check out this topic because many companies are using this technology behind the scenes. Chances are you even visited a website today running RabbitMQ without even knowing it. This topic sort of straddles the middle between development and operations, in that you might have developers using this system, but you'll typically have operations folks supporting it. So it's useful sort of for both groups to know about this. Let's set the landscape for this episode by walking through a few problem scenarios, sort of to show you some latency and infrastructure scaling issues that you might run into, and then help explain how RabbitMQ might be able to help solve them. Here's an example architecture diagram for a website hosted in the cloud. We have users up top here, and they're making web requests that are flowing through our load balancer and connecting to some backend web servers, hopefully getting a response back within a few hundred milliseconds. However, there exists a problem here as not all web pages are created equal. Oftentimes we'll need to run tasks on the web server in response to a user's request or action. Sometimes this takes many seconds to complete. For example, you'll often need to send email in response to say an order, a new account, or maybe they requested a password reset. What about updating someone's comment karma profile count where we need to process all of their comments? Or maybe we're processing user video uploads and we need to transcode something. How about calculating comment counts across a whole slew of users and checking for spam? Finally, what about if we need to fetch an external URL or API or something like that? These are all examples of things that maybe we could do offline or in the background. Because if we do it in line with the user's request, it can make your website appear very sluggish and slow. I consider a user request a very time-sensitive thing and strive to remove any non-essential code that might slow this critical path down. For example, I'm sure you'd be pretty ticked off if every time you were on Reddit and reloaded a page, it took 30 seconds to load. What about booking a hotel or a flight somewhere? Generally, you want websites to be very fast and you might go somewhere else if they're slow. So how do we do this type of stuff without making our website feel slow? Well, one way is to have a background work queue where we can have our web tier pass off these non-critical tasks to a background processing system rather than making a user wait around. The tasks are still important and need to be done, but they don't need to necessarily be blocking a user request. This task handoff often happens through a message broker like RabbitMQ. You've probably even seen this pattern yourself while doing online shopping. You placed an order somewhere and the page returns saying, hey, your order's complete and here's a summary. And then a few moments later, you get a confirmation email. Oftentimes this will be processed via a deferred task like this behind the scenes. This generally leads to a much better user experience too. But don't just take my word for it, let me prove it to you. Here's a few reference links about how companies like Instagram, Reddit, and Slack are using message queues behind the scenes to implement this worker queue pattern. This talk by a backend engineer at Instagram is really good. And it mentions how they're using RabbitMQ for tons of this type of stuff. You can sort of imagine all the image processing, comment counting, spam detection, notifications, etc. that they'd have to deal with. Next up, there's Reddit, and they mention how they build out comment threads using these backend message queues. They also count users' karma by looking through all their comments. Tons of spam checkings happening this way in the background too. Almost all these events are triggered by users as they interact with the site, but it still feels speedy because they're deferring all these tasks to a message pool. 
Here's another link by Reddit to a blog post where they sort of walk through a message queue war story about one of their April Fools events. Next up we have Slack. They're not actually using RabbitMQ, but they walk through how they're using Redis to build a message queue. However, it's a pretty interesting talk where they go into detail about how when you post a website link in chat, behind the scenes a message is passed to this worker queue where it goes and fetches that website, gets a summary of it, generates a thumbnail, and then it posts that summary back into the chat all within a few milliseconds. It's pretty cool. So if you're interested in about this type of stuff, I'd highly recommend checking out these links as it sort of paints a broader picture of the topic. Slack also has a pretty detailed blog post about their setup too. The technology barrier for doing this type of stuff is actually pretty low and you don't have to be a big guy to do this type of stuff as I'll show you in the demos later. All right, hopefully I've convinced you this is at least sort of cool. Chances are you're not going to be running into this type of stuff on a daily basis, but when you do run into these type of problems, hopefully you'll be reminded of RabbitMQ and that, hey, maybe I can use background worker queues to solve some of my problems. I just wanted to jump back to the website for a minute. I want to highlight these awesome tutorials as they walk through a bunch of different scenarios of how you might actually use RabbitMQ. From work queues to PubSub, then routing, topics, and RPC. We're just going to focus on the work queue example as that's a pretty popular one. As you can see, each tutorial is actually coded in many different popular programming languages, so you can sort of do what you're comfortable with. I found the documentation to be very good and easy to understand, so I highly recommend checking them out if you're interested in working through these. But before we jump into the demos, I wanted to walk through four key concepts about RabbitMQ. I've put together a few diagrams that will hopefully explain it pretty quickly. First, RabbitMQ is server software running the AMQP or Advanced Message Queuing Protocol. And it sits on your network and it listens on TCP port 5672. I think you can say that the RabbitMQ server is super battle-tested because you have these massive companies that are running it. So there's a really good open source community around it, and there's also a really good knowledge base in that if you go searching for a problem, you're likely to find a solution. The RabbitMQ server also supports advanced features like clustering. Even though it's used by these large companies, it's still super easy to install and get going with, as I'll show you in a minute. Second, RabbitMQ is a message broker that accepts and forwards messages based around queues. Each queue will have a name, for example, task queue or something like that. Clients will connect to Rabbit and ask to store or retrieve messages from a particular queue. Third, you'll see the term producer or publisher mentioned quite a bit throughout the docs. Basically, these are clients that will connect to Rabbit and ask to store a message in a particular named queue. You can think about this very much like uh, you'd have a client that connects to a database and it asks to store a record in a particular table. And finally, we're at number four. You'll see the term consumer used quite a bit too. These are clients that connect to the RabbitMQ server and ask for messages stored in a particular queue. After the consumer asks for these messages, the messages will be removed from the queue. So you can think of messages sitting in a queue as super transient. They're just meant for passing messages from a producer over to a consumer, and then they're removed. All right, now that we've covered the basics, let's work through a more real world example here. Let's say you're running an online store and you're constantly sending out customer order receipt emails. On the back end, you're running all sorts of database queries for checking inventory, payment status, suggesting other items the customer might like, along with calculating shipping details, etc. Let's just say this takes five seconds to run. So you want to push this into the background as it might take some time to complete and you don't necessarily want to hold the user up. In this scenario, we can replace the message producer here with our web app 
We can also replace the message consumer over here with a worker node that's actually going to be pulling together this data and sending out the completed order email. I just want to make it totally clear, RabbitMQ is only server software, and you're totally responsible for creating the producer of these messages along with the consumer of these messages. But typically this isn't that hard in that you're already going to have your web app where you can ship messages over to RabbitMQ, and then you can just extract the logic for completing an order and sending the email and put that into a worker node. So here's how this might flow. We have a customer that just placed an order on our website and it generated this little JSON message with the user ID and action. The message, by the way, is totally arbitrary. You can create whatever message types you want in whatever format and RabbitMQ will just store them in a message queue. They can be plain text, JSON or something else. I just picked JSON here as it's typically what you might see. The order event triggers a call within our web application to send an email receipt. From here, our web app makes a call to RabbitMQ, puts a message into the receipt email queue. Then our web server closes down all the connections and we have a single new message sitting in the queue waiting to be processed. Let's say another order comes in and again, we repeat the same process by connecting to Rabbit and putting a message into the queue and then closing everything down. Well, that might be a little inefficient as we're constantly opening and closing connections to Rabbit, especially if we have a steady stream of orders coming in. So you'll often see persistent open connections to Rabbit for these types of message producer applications. Just like you'd have a web app that maintains an open database connection, you'd do the same thing for Rabbit. Now you can easily send messages over to Rabbit without constantly opening and closing things. Now when we put a few more messages into the queue, it'll actually be way faster since we have an established connection. It's very common to see hundreds of open connections on a RabbitMQ box both for producers sending in messages and consumer nodes waiting for messages. But this obviously depends on the scale of your backend infrastructure and how you're using RabbitMQ, but I just want to mention that, hey, this is a common scenario. Okay, so that covers how messages arrive into the queue, but how do these worker nodes actually get them? Well, it's pretty much the same process, just in reverse. This time our worker node is going to connect to Rabbit and ask for messages in our queue. Rabbit will grab the first message in the queue and pass it back to the worker where the worker will process the message and based on what we programmed it to do, it'll send out our order email. Again, you'd need to program this logic so it's totally customizable to your environment. And then the cycle will just repeat for each message in the queue. Queues follow the first in, first out ordering where the oldest message will be processed first. The worker nodes will also typically have persistent connections into RabbitMQ. I should probably point out to make the diagrams a little easier to understand, I didn't actually show the producers and consumers of the message connected at the same time here. So in a lot of cases, the ideal scenario would be that you have workers already watching the queue and as a producer puts a message into the queue, it's picked up instantly. But to help aid explaining it, I just wanted to show it in two different parts. The example has been pretty simple so far, but the reality is that you might actually have multiple queues within your Rabbit server. You'd also have lots of producers generating messages that go into those queues. And then you're probably going to have a lot of worker nodes that are watching those queues, waiting for messages, and then doing stuff. So this is maybe a more accurate depiction of what a production environment would look like. This is why I mentioned earlier that it's not uncommon to have a lot of persistent connections going into your RabbitMQ server, in that you're going to have a lot of producers connected persistently, and you're also going to have a lot of workers connected persistently. Typically, you also want to have these queues running as close to zero messages as possible. You would scale up and down the worker nodes to sort of match the incoming rate of messages sitting in the queue. This isn't really an exact science as each company and each job is different. 
Say for example, sending an email might only take a few seconds, but transcoding a video file might take several minutes. So this is where monitoring queue length is super important, as you might be able to scale up worker count to deal with a backlog of queued messages. Worker monitoring in general is just super important because you want to make sure these jobs are actually completing successfully too. This architecture does allow for some cool operational things too. Not only are you speeding up user requests by taking advantage of background processing, but you're also decoupling your front-end code from your back-end code. So your front-end code could be written in one language, and these background processing nodes could be written another, maybe because of performance or convenience reasons. Another really great advantage is that these queues can act as sort of a buffer or shock absorber for your system. What I mean is, say you have a huge influx of orders and the queues start to back up. Nothing is really lost as there's just a backlog in the message queue now. The great thing about this is that this is mostly hidden from user traffic and things continue as normal on the front end, and then on the back end you can just process this backlog. Whereas, say if you were doing this in real time without a back end message queue, if your front end became overloaded, your site might go down. So this adds the capability of dealing with larger influxes of traffic. Also, say you discover some critical backend problem or maybe you need to do maintenance. The option exists to just shut down all these workers and let the queues back up. And then once we fix the problem, we can just spin up the workers again and they'll process the queue backlog. Obviously, this is highly dependent on your architecture and what you're using it for, but these are some things to think about. To me, this is a major bonus of using a system like this because it speeds things up for your front-end users, but it also adds this back-end flexibility. The RabbitMQ tutorials are awesome, as I already mentioned, and they're well worth working through if you're interested in this at all. So for the demos today, we're going to be setting up a RabbitMQ server, then we're going to run through sort of a hello world application to prove things out, and then we'll look at an example where we run multiple workers to drain down a queue faster. You can find a ton of install guides on how to get started with RabbitMQ, but I'm just going to use the RabbitMQ official Docker image on my Mac today. You can find the official image over on Docker Hub. By the way, I'm going to put all the links for this stuff in the episode notes below. Also, if you go the Docker route, this page has a lot of good examples on it for reference commands. Let's head over to the command line and take a look at the two examples we're going to cover today. I posted these examples up on GitHub too if you want to have a look. Alright, so here we have a simple hello world application using a single message producer and a single message consumer. In the second demo, we'll cover adding a slew of messages to a queue and then running multiple workers to drain down that queue very quickly. So here's a Docker command that I'm going to be using to fire up our local RabbitMQ server under Docker. I'm going to say docker run, run it in the background with a dash D flag here. And then I'm going to expose some ports. This is so our clients can connect to the RabbitMQ server. There's also this management interface, which I'll talk about in a second. And then I'm giving it the image name. Just a heads up, this is totally insecure. What I'm doing is I'm running this on my local laptop on my local network, so I'm not too worried about security. But if you're going to run this in production or something like that, you'd obviously want to read through the docs and secure it. Let's just quickly verify it's actually running too. Great, looks good. One nice thing here is that I used the Docker image that contains the management interface. If you're installing this manually, you'd want to look for the management plugin. So with the management plugin, we can connect to RabbitMQ via a web server, and it's pretty helpful for getting an idea of what's happening under the hood. So if we flip over to a web browser, you can access the management interface via localhost port 15672. I'm just going to log in with the username guest and the password guest. 
again, we're just using this for testing, but you'd obviously want to lock this down if you're going to go to production. All right, now the default page is sort of this overview page or summary of what's happening in the Rabbit server. This will show all the queues that we have on this server, all the messages queued up in those queues, node metrics, etc. There's also a few tabs where you can sort of drill down into the various areas. This queue tab will actually come in really handy and we'll use it quite a bit as we send messages over to the server. And that's basically it. Let's jump over to a text editor and check out the example message producer and message consumer clients that we're going to be using today. In the first example directory here, we have two clients. Let's review the producer first. Personally, I chose the Go programming client since that's what I've been using lately, but there's tons of examples up on the site, so you can use pretty much whatever you're familiar with. The client is pretty straightforward. First, we connect to the RabbitMQ server. We open a channel, and then we define a queue. In this case, I'm calling it task queue. Next, we define a message we want to put into that queue. In this case, hello world. Finally, we publish or push this hello world message into that queue. That's it, pretty simple. If this were our web server sending over the message, we might want to encode the message in say JSON or something like that, where we could pass additional information in sort of key value format so that when this worker picks up the job, it can parse this message and sort of know what it needs to do. But in this example, the hello world message here serves as a great proof of concept. Next, let's check out the message consumer or what our worker nodes might be running. Here we follow a very similar pattern. We connect to the rabbit server, open a channel, and define the queue again. You don't need to necessarily define the queue as it already exists, but this is a non-destructive thing in that you can define it over and over. It's almost like a safety measure to make sure that the queue exists so that we can read messages from it. Finally, we say we want to consume messages from the queue in a loop forever. And that's basically it. We're going to ask for a message. We're going to do something with it, in our case, print it out. And then we're going to move on to the next message. And we'll do this forever in a loop. So let's jump over to the command line again and run through this example. In the top panel here, I'm sitting in the examples directory. Uh, let's just go into the first example and then into the producer directory. And then let's run our producer client. All right, that's it. We just sent a hello world message into the RabbitMQ server on that task queue. Let's jump over to our web browser and that management interface and verify it actually worked. Cool, so you can see our graph is already updated and we have one message total. There's not much else to see on this page, so let's switch over to the queues tab. Great, so you can see we have our task queue defined here and there's one message ready. Let's click in there. This is pretty much the same information that we've seen before, but I find it useful to look at this and sort of get a sense of what's happening as messages are flowing through the queues. You can also publish messages into the queue manually if you wanted to too. One cool thing is that you can grab messages out of the queue just for debugging right here in the UI. This is also non-destructive if you use this option here as it'll put the message back into the queue. All right, so let's get a message. Great, so we got one message and you can see the payload is hello world, so it worked. Just for fun, let's add another message into the queue too. Let's say testing one, two, three, and publish it. Great, so now we should have two messages in the queue. Just to recap, this basically covers the core concept that we chatted about earlier on creating a client or a message producer and having it send messages into the RabbitMQ server. Now that we got that covered, let's figure out the message consumer part of the equation. So back at the console, I'm gonna change into our first example's consumer client directory here. All right, let's run it. 
Great, so it connected to the Rabbit server and pulled down our two messages off the task queue. So let's jump back to the management interface and verify the queue is actually empty now. Great, so you can see our two messages have been consumed and the queue is sitting at zero. You can also see down here we have one consumer or worker node still connected. That's because we never shut it down at the command line. So if a new message were to appear in the queue, it would automatically be consumed by that client. So basically this proves out the end-to-end -end workflow for using RabbitMQ. This is pretty basic stuff, but as you can see, we could use this as a very powerful building block for our backend infrastructure. For the second demo, I wanted to show you basically the same setup that we're using in the first example, but running multiple consumer or worker nodes, as it's a little more real world. Let's jump back to the editor and check out the second word list demo. In the producer directory here, I have a text file that contains a list of 3000 English words. Then in the message producer client, basically what we're doing is we're parsing this file, we're looping over every word, and then I'm pushing those words into the message queue. So we should end up with 3000 messages in our queue. Then let's hop over to the client code. We're basically doing the same thing we were doing before. We're connecting to the server, and then we're looping over all the messages and printing them out. Let's quickly hop over to the management interface again and just verify there's no messages sitting in the queue. All right, looks like we're good to go. So let's hop back to the command line and set up our second example. In the top directory here, I'm just gonna change into the producer directory for our second example. Then I'm gonna configure our two consumer worker nodes down here. So let's run our producer app that reads in those 3000 words and pushes them into the task queue. Perfect, it goes pretty quickly. Let's head back to the web browser and check out that management interface and see what it says. You can see we have 3000 messages waiting in the task queue now. Let's click in there. You can see our graphs have been updated too. Let's scroll down and grab a few messages out of the queue just to verify it's working as expected. Great, looks like it works since we have a few words that we submitted. So now that we have this working, let's head back to the command line and configure our two consumer clients to read out all those messages. So I'm just gonna get both these clients ready and then we'll try to run them at close to the same time. Then we can watch them processing messages from the queue. So what's happening here is that we have both our clients connected to the rabbit server and they're both pulling messages off the queue one by one. And you can see they're sort of alternating here and we're done. So let's check the management interface and see what that looks like. Great, so you can see our messages have been consumed out of the queue. And you can see some of the message rates here. I just wanted to add a comment about timing here. I actually had to add a one millisecond delay to each message that was processed because the clients were going through it too quickly. Let's look at the code for a second. I just added this one millisecond delay here because it was going too quickly for the demo. The clients are super fast at processing messages. If we head over to the console, you can also see here that the messages were being processed by both clients. For example, the word zone was consumed by client two and youth was consumed by client one. Pretty cool. So this is sort of the foundation of where you'd build out your backend infrastructure for automating things like order processing, video transcoding, or lots of other stuff that you don't really want to happen while users are waiting around. I just wanted to chat about a few example architectures before we close out this episode. So before I mentioned that companies like Instagram, Reddit, and Slack were using a message queuing service behind the scenes, but you don't have to be a massive company to do something like this. For example, here's a pretty simple architecture where you could spin up a RabbitMQ container and then have a few worker nodes processing jobs. This setup could likely easily fit into an existing architecture if you're already running containers. 
I highly recommend checking out episode 56 on container orchestration if you haven't already. This architecture could work really well for simple things like, hey, I want to send some emails, I need to update records, or that type of stuff. But what about more complex things? Well, this is where you get into architectures that look like this. You have dedicated instances running RabbitMQ and the worker nodes. What use cases would drive something like this? Well, if you have thousands of worker nodes, this is likely going to require lots of memory and resources on the RabbitMQ server side of things. This might not fit nicely into your existing container architecture. What about running lots of worker nodes? Well, say you're doing video transcoding or something, where you're converting one format to another. Well, maybe you need lots of memory or a scratch disk. The reason I suggest maybe going with a dedicated infrastructure is that this might not fit nicely into your existing container infrastructure. This honestly depends on your existing architecture though. One really cool thing if you're using a cloud provider is that you can wrap these worker nodes in an instance group and then you can easily use the cloud provider's autoscaler to manage the worker pool. You can also take advantage of, say, AWS Spot Market or the Google Cloud preemptible VMs and get massive discounts on this computing infrastructure. I've seen this type of thing happen with VFX studios, where they spin up massive amounts of compute and get very good discounts because they're using, say, the AWS Spot Market or Google Cloud preemptible VMs. But this obviously highly depends on the workloads you're running. But this can be a pretty deadly combination when you could take advantage of these discounted instance types and process some of your batch workloads there. What we covered today was pretty low level, but there exist tools that abstract away the complexity of interacting directly with RabbitMQ. This is where tools like Celery can be used as a layer that sits on top of RabbitMQ and has some nice options for kicking off tasks, monitoring those tasks, scheduling, and setting up workflows. This is a great tool if you're running Python internally. I think also Instagram's running Celery internally, so there's lots of support and you can imagine that Celery's been pretty battle-tested. You can basically think of it as a framework for running your background tasks versus interacting directly with RabbitMQ. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next week.